0: All right. thank you. Remain standing, and I want to invite you to reach for your Bibles for our Scripture reading this morning. So if you have a Bible, whether you have a printed copy, or maybe you have a digital copy on your iPhone, Samsung phone, whatever phone you might have, I want to invite you to turn to Acts, the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 16, reading verses 6. Through thirty four, so Acts chapter sixteen. Notice what it says. Follow along as I read. Beginning in verse six, and they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. And the they there is uh, Paul's missionary team of uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to My- Mysia or Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and following days to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. And she followed Paul and us, crying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed... Turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain, that is, monetary gain, they made money off of her, was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely." Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, which is amazing. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. and trembling with fear, he fell down before, before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word to the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for our time to gather together this morning. We thank you for the truth and hope of your word recorded to us in the scriptures. Now focus our hearts and minds upon you. Speak to us in a mighty way. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning we are beginning a brand new series in the book of Philippians. And yes, I know we just read in the book of Acts and you'll understand why here in a minute. And in this new series, we are calling it Joy in the Journey. As Christ followers, our eternal destination in heaven is determined by our response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that destination is secure in Jesus Christ as well. Until we reach our destination in glory, though, we are on a journey. As we follow Jesus in this fallen world. But that doesn't mean the journey has to be joyless. In fact, it's just the opposite. Philippians is a letter written by Paul. A book dripping with joy and surprisingly so. It's not what anyone would expect given the circumstances surrounding the Apostle Paul. And yet Paul writes about True joy in this letter. The language of joy permeates this letter, occurring 16 times in four short chapters. Paul himself radiates with this contagious joy, and though he writes from a Roman prison, he can say, I rejoice, so you rejoice. And so immediately we see that life doesn't have to be easy in order to be Joyful. In fact, ease of living and joy of heart have little to do with each other. And Paul shows us in this letter that joy is not the absence of trouble, but rather the presence of Jesus Christ. He reminds us that ultimate joy isn't derived from comfortable circumstances, but from a vibrant relationship with Christ. And so, Paul's goal in writing this book is to show us that it really is possible to have joy in your journey with Jesus. The book of Philippians was written around A.D. 61, as we already said, by the Apostle Paul, who was in a Roman prison awaiting trial before Caesar. Paul was under what is called a house arrest, which simply meant that he was chained to a Roman guard, but could still receive visitors. And he was in this particular situation for one reason and one reason only, and that is because he proclaimed a message that Jesus is king. If you made that claim in the days of the Roman Empire, you were going against the prevailing powers of the day. Because when you said Jesus is king, you were also saying at the same time, Caesar is not And so when Paul preached that message boldly, he eventually found himself sitting in a jail chained to a Roman guard. And at the end of the book of Acts, Luke records for us just a little bit of what it was like for Paul in those days. Acts chapter 28 verse 16 says, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Later on, Luke writes in verses 30 and 31, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's doing this while in jail and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And so during this imprisonment, about two years of time, Paul wrote several letters to different churches that he had planted during his missionary journeys. And Philippians is one of those letters that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Now, to understand a little bit about the book of Philippians, we need to know a little bit about the backstory of the church at Philippi, which we learn about in Acts chapter 16. That's why we read that chapter. That's where the church was planted. It's when it was planted. And so here's the back story. We could say it like this if you want to follow along in your notes. The church of Philippi was planted by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey through the Spirit's guidance in Paul's evangelistic encounters. And the very first thing we learn here in Acts chapter 16 is that Paul never had any intentions, never had any plans of even traveling to the city of Philippi. On his second missionary journey, Paul actually planned to go through Galatia and expand northward and southward with the gospel. But according to verse 6 here in Acts 16, they were forbidden to do so by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And so Paul and his team of Timothy and Silas went to Troas in the night, and Paul had this vision. You're familiar with that, some of you are. This vision of a man from Macedonia pleading with Paul and his team to come there and help them. And so through the Spirit's guidance, Paul immediately left Troas, sailed to Philippi. In fact, Luke writes in verse 10 concluding, that is Paul and his team concluding, that God had called us to preach the gospel to those people there. And then the second thing we learned is that Paul planted the church at Philippi through these encounters that he had with different people, these evangelistic encounters. In fact, the very first encounter he has is down by the river with none other than a group of women. And as Paul shared the gospel with them, we learned that a businesswoman named Lydia heard about Jesus as king and surrendered her life right there on the spot. According to verse 14, it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying about Jesus Christ. And in verse 15, it turns out her whole family also believed the good news of the gospel. And then Paul goes into the city of Philippi, where he encounters a slave girl who is demon-possessed. And through a series of events, Paul gets annoyed by what's happening in these encounters. And so he finally drives out the demon, and she presumably comes to Jesus, which made her owners a little upset, rather mad, because they could no longer make money off of her by telling people's fortunes and futures. And so they had Paul and Silas arrested, severely beaten and thrown in jail. But that's when Paul and Silas encounter the jailer who was ordered to guard them securely or safely. When Paul and Silas were praying and singing in jail, which I find rather amazing, don't you? I don't know many people that do that. And this comes after being beaten, severely beaten. And so suddenly at midnight, there was this earthquake, and they were miraculously freed from their change. But instead of running out of prison, running free they seize the opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with this jailer who gives his life to Jesus along with this whole family. And if you continue reading further down in the book of Acts there in chapter 16, you find by the time you get to the very end, there was this church planted in the home of the businesswoman along with a slave girl and a Roman prison guard. And so there you have it. Welcome to the church at Philippi. Paul went on to plant many other churches in the following years, but he had a rather deep affection for this particular church. He stopped by the Philippian church on at least one occasion to to celebrate the holidays with them. We know that this church regularly sent Paul money to help him out in his ministry, And so about 12 years later, while Paul is in prison in Rome, he writes this letter, what we have in our Bibles, what we are looking at now. and We're going to be looking at through the next several weeks. The letter of Philippians, sometimes called the book of Philippians or or the epistle of Philippians. And he writes this letter to them thanking them for their financial gifts to him, exhorting them to grow in their faith, but more importantly, urging them to persevere in their joy with Christ. So this letter is written in a rather warm and friendly tone. I mean, Paul loved this church. In fact, he calls them his his joy and his crown. But they were also facing some of their own adversity, their own persecution and troubles and trials that threatened their joy in the journey. So what is the big picture then of the book of Philippians? Well, we might summarize it this way. This is how I'm summarizing it. So... If you want to follow along in your notes again? Here's what you can fill out. Here is the overarching main idea, big picture of the book of Philippians. Joy in the journey is experienced most fully by living a life that is Christ centered and gospel driven. That's what we're going to see in the book of Philippians. While the language of joy permeates the book of Philippians, What Paul makes clear over and over and over again in this book is that that joy that we're speaking about is experienced most fully or in the words of Jesus Christ in John 10.10 abundantly by living a life that is Christ centered and gospel driven. Now. Joy is one of the most infallible signs of the presence of God in your life. An unmistakable badge of his ownership of your life. Which means that a gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. Billy Sunday once said, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. And I'm afraid today we have a lot of leaky Christians. Joyless Christians. Joy is actually a rather funny thing because it's elusive to so many people. And that's because joy is never found by direct pursuit. You might look for joy all day long, but you won't find it. Why? Because joy isn't found by direct pursuit. It's the byproduct of a living a life that is Christ-centered and gospel-driven. Now, in our Declaration of Independence, we have a few guarantees. You're guaranteed life, you're guaranteed liberty, and you're guaranteed the pursuit of happiness. And so we have a country where people are pursuing just that. The problem is, nobody's finding it. Two-thirds of Americans claim to be unhappy in life. They're looking for happiness, but they're not finding it. Why? Because real happiness, true joy, is not found by direct pursuit. It's the byproduct of pursuing Christ and living out His mission, living out His purposes for your life. And so that's why Paul writes these kind of words Right here in chapter 1 of Philippians, verses 12 through 14, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me and what's happened to him. He's writing from where? He's in prison. So he's now, I want you to know that what has happened to me. And listen, it's happened to him unfairly, unjustly. And he says, has happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the world without fear now. And so Paul's joy is not dependent upon his circumstances, rather it's dependent upon his Lord. Although he has been in prison, actually, for almost four years, prior to Roman imprisonment, he was in prison for two years in Caesarea, he still rejoices. He writes in Philippians 1.18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And so even if he should be sentenced to death, for proclaiming Jesus, he would still rejoice. Why? Because according to Paul in Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so as long as you live for yourself and try to find peace and happiness and joy for yourself, you will never find it. Instead, you will be miserable and hard to live with. It's only when you turn from yourself to Jesus Christ who takes over your life and you live for him in his glory that you find true joy. You see, the more you do as you please, the less you will be pleased with what you do. That is the summation of most people in America. But when you say, forget me, I want to serve Jesus. I want to be a bond servant of Jesus. The byproduct of that life is real joy, true joy. This is why Paul exhorts us at the end of chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, why does Paul say this? Because Paul knows something. He has learned something over the years in his journey with Jesus. He knows that joy in that journey is experienced most fully by living a life that is Christ-centered and gospel-driven. You know, over in England, there is a... A spot called Buckingham Palace. How many have heard about it? I'm sure you all have. And Buckingham Palace is one of the center landmarks and places to visit. I've actually had the opportunity to stand outside the gates of Buckingham Palace and gaze at it. And in the palace, it's the palace of the royal family, as you know, and there's a flag that is flown outside of Buckingham Palace called the Royal Standard. The royal standard is the flag that is raised on the flagpole whenever the sovereign is in residence in the palace. And so if the queen's home, the flag goes up. Or if the king's home, depending on what era of English history we're talking about, the royal standard is flown. And we need to think of joy in the same way. Joy is the flag flown over the castle of your heart when the king is in residence there. It's the badge. It's the sign that King Jesus is residing in your heart and over your life. so bad circumstances didn't rob Paul of his joy. Why? Because his joy is in Jesus Christ the King who resides in his heart and rules over his life. Therefore, Paul declares in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, I want to give you an overview of the two main points of the book of Philippians. As I have read through this book, I encourage you to do the same thing. In fact, the book of Philippians is only 104 verses total, four chapters. I encourage you in the next few weeks to read through it, read through it more than once, several different times. And you'll begin to get a feel for what we are talking about even for today. And so there are two main points that I want to give you. And as we consider these two main points, what we're going to see is Paul's own joy in the journey. And the first main point is this. There is joy when we participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you read the book of Philippians, you will immediately see Paul's joy overflowing. And the reason he was filled with so much joy in his life is because there is joy when we participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul even expresses joy. Thankfulness and joy for the Philippians' participation in the gospel right here in chapter 1. Notice it. Look at it in verses 3 through 5. Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then Paul writes in the very last chapter, verses 14 through 18, and he says, And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. And that help is, in particular was financial help. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And so when Paul remembers and even prays for these Philippian believers, which was often his memories of them, are laced with affection, and his prayers are accompanied with great joy. And this kind of loving affection flows through the entire letter. In fact, Paul uses this term brethren in in reference to all the brothers and sisters in Christ there in this church. He uses it six different times to underscore his own brotherly bond with them. Not only this, but Paul uses the term beloved. When he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Now, here's the question where in the world does that kind of love come from? What is the ground for such affection, mutual affection, between this church and the Apostle Paul? And I would say to you, it's their participation in the gospel. In chapter 1, verse 5, Paul thanks God in his remembrance of the Philippians and he prays for them with joy. Why? Because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And again in verse 7, Paul says, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers of with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so what drives Paul in the Philippians to have such affection and love and unity for one another is that they share in the gospel together. They are fellow partakers of the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. And so, yes, joy permeates the whole book of Philippians. But here's what you've got to understand. That joy is tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not tied to the Philippians' circumstances. It's not tied to Paul's circumstances. Rather, it is tied to their partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why the Greek word for the gospel occurs nine different times in this letter, which is the greatest frequency in all of Paul's letters, including Romans. And it occurs five different times in chapter 1 alone. And we've already seen it in verses 5 and 7. in reference to his own imprisonment, Paul says this in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 17, Paul says, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And then Paul challenges the Philippians and us at the end of chapter 1 and verse 7. Only let your manner of life be what? Worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, it's the gospel that's the whole basis or foundation of affection and love and joy between Paul and the Philippians. Their joy in the journey is the byproduct of their participation in the gospel. One thing we learn immediately here from these verses that nothing has the ability to knit the hearts of Christians together than supporting one another in the ministry of the gospel and even suffering for the sake of the gospel. If you've ever gone on a mission campaign here in our church, you understand a little bit of that. How you bond together. Why? Because it's gospel-centered, gospel-driven. That's why our partnership with our global missionaries. That's why some of you are connected with them. Even though they're worlds apart. And when they come, you rekindle that relationship because of our partnership to one, with one another in the gospel. In fact, partnership in the gospel, get this, it actually transcends Races and classes of people. Think of the Church of Philippi. You have a businesswoman, a slave girl, and a Roman guard that form the basis of this church. Three different classes of people, three different backgrounds. And yet here they are bonded on the same mission. Bonded by Jesus Christ. Only the gospel has the power to bring people together and overcome all the racial race issues and ethnicity issues in all of this. At the core is the gospel. That is the answer to what you are seeing on social media and even reading on the news and seeing in our world today. It starts with the gospel. The gospel is the answer to it. The first main point in the book of Philippians is there is joy when we participate in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, there is joy when we persevere, though, in that gospel. Because Paul not only expresses thankfulness and joy for the Philippians' participation in the gospel, but he now exhorts them to not give up in it, to persevere in it. And we see this in chapter 1 when Paul prays for the Philippians in verses 9 through 11. Look at what he says. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And we see this perseverance again at the end of chapter 1 when Paul exhorts us, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Notice it, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are doing what? That you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, you know this gospel. You share in this gospel. You participate in the ministry of the gospel, but don't let up. Keep on living lives that are worthy of the gospel. Because Paul understands that joy doesn't come easily or even naturally. Listen, you've got to pray for it, you gotta fight for it. How? By persevering in the gospel. And so if you are a joyless Christian here this morning, and you're wondering why, perhaps you ought to evaluate, first of all, am I participating in the gospel? And more importantly than that, am I persevering in it? Or have I wavered away? Have I given up my participation in the ministry? My perseverance? Have I let other things in this world distract me and detour me? Are those my priorities? These things over here that I think will bring me a sense of happiness, Why bring me joy in this world. And you're finding out, no, it doesn't. Because to find joy, to have joy in the journey, again, and it's experienced most fully by living a life that is Christ-centered and gospel-driven. The Philippians, they were enduring opposition themselves. And that opposition threatened their own joy. And Paul has much to say in this book about enduring opposition or difficulty, persecution, when life doesn't go the way we want. In fact, he invites the Philippians to consider his own example of perseverance in prison. When he writes in verses 18 and 21 of chapter 1, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then he writes in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, in other words, even if I might die at the hands of Caesar, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. And then he pleads with them and us in the last chapter of verse 1. He says, therefore, in light of all this, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. In other words, persevere in the gospel. Now I'll ask a rhetorical question. I think I already know the answer to it. Do you want to have joy in your journey with Jesus? Or do you want to be a miserable Christian in this fallen world? Listen, Paul is telling us here throughout this book that there's joy, real joy, When we participate in the gospel and when we persevere in the gospel, we live in a culture. Listen, that is obsessed with the chase for happiness. In the year 2000, there were 50 books published on the subject of happiness. Eight years later, there were 4000 books published on the same topic. And today there are more than that. Why? Because people are longing for happiness. In fact, it's interesting. A few years ago, Harvard University offered a class on happiness and they had, get this, over a thousand of their students sign up to take it. Right now, you can hop on your iPhone and go to the App Store and there is a whole section devoted to, quote, happy apps to help you be happy in life to help you measure your happiness, to help you to monitor your happiness. The offbeat comedian Louis C.K. says everything is awesome, but nobody is happy. In contrast, you have the Apostle Paul writing from a jail cell, I rejoice, so you rejoice. He's facing extreme opposition, and yet he sees with this uncommon clarity. Paul is saying, everything has been ripped away from me. What I've got, I'm sinking my teeth into, and I'm praying with joy. I don't know about you, but it's easy to pray with joy when you're relaxing on a beach. Anybody with me on that? That's easy to do. It's a lot harder to pray with joy when you're sitting in prison. But Paul's tapped in to this secret. He has found something that allowed the scales of his life to tip from grief to joy. He has found something that has allowed the weight of the gospel to hit his life in such a way that it transformed it. And so here's the bottom line for the Apostle Paul. Here's what he's saying all throughout the book of Philippians in different ways with different illustrations. But he has one message and it's this. Here's the bottom line. In all our pleasures in life, Jesus is better. In all our pleasures in this life, Jesus is better. And in all our suffering in this life, Jesus is enough. Therefore, the weight of worldly grief that you are experiencing, and yes, we do experience that in this fallen world, do we not? Some of you are right there living it now. But the weight of that worldly grief in this lifetime, listen, it cannot diminish the power of gospel joy in our journey with Jesus. That's Paul's bottom line. A.W. Do- Tozier said it this way, the people of God ought to be the happiest people in all the world. People should be coming to us constantly and asking the source of our joy and delight. Does that describe you? Listen, you're going, you're saying to yourself, listen, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. And it's been a hard season in my life in this pandemic. You don't understand, Bruce. No, I, I do understand. And listen, there is space for that with the Lord. In fact, God understands that oftentimes the joy of the gospel, it is mixed with the reality of some really difficult and painful things that we walk through in this life. But it's mixed. It's not absent. And so I just want to encourage you here to push into Lean into what Paul has found in Jesus Christ. He's telling us that what the world gives in the form of grief and in the form of pain and in the form of hurt cannot outweigh the source of joy in Jesus Christ. Because that joy is distinctly married to, it is linked to, what Jesus has done for you 2,000 years ago. Friends, listen to me. Where the gospel is prominent. Happiness is imminent. Remember, joy in the journey is experienced most fully when you live a life that is Christ-centered and gospel-driven. That is the heart of Paul's message in the book of Philippians let's pray heavenly father you know what you are doing in our lives even when we don't see it and don't fully understand it and so we pray to you even now that we might discover the joy that comes from living a relationship with jesus christ help us to see that in all our pleasures jesus is better and in all our suffering jesus is enough Give us the grace to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.